turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, if you're new with us today, we've been journeying through this brief epistle that Paul has written to a church that he's never visited. And he pens these letters, four of them, while he's in his first imprisonment, the book of Colossians. As you turn, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. Indeed, you are our righteousness, and we thank you according to 2 Corinthians 5. That when you, O Father, see us, you see your Son. It's his righteousness that's been given to us and overshowers us, Lord, as we are in a new man, a new community, as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. So, Father, we thank you. Father, there's much that's swirling in our minds as we come into a service today. Issues of COVID and perhaps family members who, or friends who might be struggling, businesses, employment that are on the rocks because of the lockdown. Father, issues of election and, and all the political trauma that we've been experiencing. Father, for the Heinzman and the Hulse families who are both mourning losses of loved ones, we just pray for them. Father, perhaps it's a wayward child or a marriage that's on the rocks. Perhaps it's for the younger people. Maybe it's just school. And you know, how do you navigate all this? And what about the sports and the, the drama team and all these things that are hindered because of this crazy stuff we're dealing with? Father, we stop first and recognize that we need your son. Father, may it give us pause before we just pray, Lord, remove it, that we recognize perhaps you're wanting to teach us a few things <laughs> father as a country we need to repent as a people we need to repent we don't pray that covid can be removed just so we can go back to status quo but it's our prayer that through these valleys that we are walking father that the gospel would shine even brighter that the church would be a beacon and would stand strong in the midst of all of it and not waver. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the, your word and thank you for the time that we have this morning to dive into Colossians chapter 4. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Hannah, thank you for reading this morning. Uh, some of you are familiar with PBS. And maybe it's the Antique Road Show. My kids hate it, but I love that show. It's just so awesome. They got that at a flea market for 10 cents. You can't beat it. All right? It's worth $300. Or there's the, this old house. Right? I love that. They find the termites behind the door. And you think, well, yeah, why'd you buy the house in the first place? But all right, that's great. So, you know, I love those kind of shows. And there's, a kind of, there's another PBS I want to share with you this morning. It's found in Colossians chapter 4. There's three areas in which Paul says, okay, you're now identified as a new man, this new community, that is the church. And last week we looked at how you are then to interact. He, he puts the, the tires on the, on the tread or on the road and says, okay, if you're part of a new community, this is how you engage one another within that community, right? He looks at husbands and wives, and we looked at that in parents and children, and I, I got a lot of parents who wrote and said, thank you so much. <laughs> no, 
and, and, and masters and slaves. And we looked at all of that. Today, he, he expands this. He says, I want to take this outside of the community, those outside of the community, and how we are to function. And PBS is your outline of the notes. It's, it's praying faithfully, behaving wisely, and speaking graciously. Notice what he states in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the text we just heard. He says, be devoted to prayer. This, this call to pray faithfully is, resounds throughout Scripture, doesn't it? It's thinking about the prayers of both the Old and the New Testament. It was through prayer that Moses divided the Red Sea. Joshua stopped the course of the sun. Hannah brought forth an unexpected son. Hezekiah held back an entire Assyrian army. Daniel quieted the mouths of lions and Peter flung open the doors of the prison cell. Prayer. It's vital. And Paul the Apostle is no exception. One scholar summarizes the value of prayer in his ministry. Listen to this. Hunter writes, his ministry was grounded in and developed from prayer. For Paul, the Christian experience was essentially and unceasingly an act of prayer. And thus, it should not surprise us that this book, this letter to the church at Colossae, also highlights prayer. We saw at the very beginning, look at chapter 1, verses 9 and 11. Look how he started this whole letter. He says, For this reason we also, from the day we heard from you, have not ceased what? Praying. We've been, we've been lifting you up. We've been thinking about you. And now he returns to prayer in chapter 4, verse 2. And he says, first of all, he says, we need to be faithful in prayer. We need to be devoted to prayer. It's pretty sad that as believers, we need to be instructed to pray. Think about that for a minute. It, it isn't intuitive prayer. I mean, the disciples even pulled Jesus aside and said, hey, you need to teach us how to pray. You think, why do we need to do that? It should be intuitive as a believer. It's not. And it's often not normally pursued. It takes time and it takes great effort to learn how to pray. It calls for holiness. In fact, if there's sin in your lives, your prayer is simply a monologue, <laughs> not a dialogue. The devotion to prayer is observed in three ways in the notes here. That's in your outline as well. The first of these is to pray with vigilance. Notice what he states. He says, be devoted to prayer, right? He says here, keeping alert. The idea is here of, of watchfulness. He mentions this in 1 Corinthians 16, be on alert, stand firm. Remember, we mentioned that Ephesians is the twin epistle to Colossians. They sound a whole lot alike if you're comparing the two letters. Uh, corresponding or parallel text in Ephesians 6 says, Pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for Christians everywhere. An effective prayer life requires great attention an unfailing dedication. It doesn't just happen as a follower of Jesus. And this is where I'm, as I say in Scotland, gobsmacked, as I see what he says, be devoted to prayer. Because I'm looking at this going, one should think as followers of Jesus that the opportunity to talk with him should be something we greatly treasure. I mean, it's 
to, to have the intimacy to come into the very throne room is something the Old Testament saints long to do. And we have that privilege. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who's also helping intercede. And so, yet we don't pray. <laughs> when I was doing my doctoral studies overseas, a dear friend and mentor would call almost weekly. I looked forward to those conversations. I would drop everything just to hear his voice and glean some wisdom and insight and instruction. He was making sure I hadn't fallen off the theological wagon, and uh, he held my feet to the fire. But it was also a source of encouragement because he too understood what it was like to be studying abroad. And it, it meant so much in, in those times. And so I asked myself, David, why don't you do that with the Lord like you should? And why, why don't we cherish our time in prayer? Is it laziness, busyness, exhaustion, maybe familiarity, rebellion, doubt and fear of life? Reminds me of the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And that crucial moment, Jesus says to the, the three amigos, hey, you need to be praying. And where does he find them? Asleep. To, to be alert. And so, this is not in your notes, this is free today. I said, how do we pray with vigilance? Let me give you a few just to, to think through. First, our prayer life needs to be fresh and it needs to be intentional. I don't know about you, but it's so easy to go on autopilot. I've, I've thought about that this week when we go to bed. I put the kids to bed at night. It, it's always the same lines that I pray and I'm going, this isn't good. I'm going into autopilot. And it's easy to do. They need to be fresh. We need to think through. Perhaps you need to keep a prayer journal where you're jotting down things for each day that you're praying for. So our prayer life needs to be fresh. It needs to be intentional. Second, our prayer life needs to be spontaneous and sensitive to our surroundings. It should become the knee-jerk reaction. You think about it. When someone shares a prayer request with you, oh, I'm going to pray pray for you. Why don't you pray just for them? <laughs> let's pray right now. You know, let's lift this to the Lord. And so our prayer life needs to be spontaneous, it, to be alert in our prayer. I wrote third, our prayer life needs to be focused. It's so easy, isn't it, for our minds to wonder when we pray. I, I hate to know, but I suspect that I have fallen asleep with students when I was praying with them in my office I do that with my wife. The cares of the day, a reflection from the past, a concern for tomorrow, so easily drags our mind away from the task at hand. No one said you have to pray for three hours. You don't need to be a George Mueller. That's okay, right? Uh, perhaps you just need to jot down on a piece of paper that focuses you in. Here's the things I need to pray for. But unfortunately, many struggle with ADHD when it comes to spiritual prayer. Right? And so, what is it that you need to do to hone in in that time with the Lord? Right? Our prayer life needs to be focused. Fourth, our prayer life needs to be filled with confidence and assurance. Right? When doubt assails the very crevices of your mind, when a pandemic robs the joys of life, when sorrow knocks at the door of your home, and when disappointment 
despair and depression seem to suck the very life out of you, don't forget, your prayers are rooted in the surety of your faith, clinging to the promises of God. Don't forget that. How can you stand alert? Recognizing the surety of our faith and standing fast. And finally, how do we pray with vigilance? I wrote, our prayer life needs to be marked with urgency. This call to watch and be alert is used by Paul in other writings, and it's always around eschatology, last things. And I think you could even apply that here. Knowing that the end is near, be alert, watch and pray. The call understands there is this expectation of Christ's coming, isn't there? And that can be woven, I think, very easily into this text. So, he says, be devoted to prayer. Pray faithfully. How do we do that? One, with great vigilance. Be alert. Be on guard. Secondly, notice he says, in it with, this is the latter part of verse 2, with thankfulness. The absence of gratitude, along with failing to glorify God, if you remember in Romans 1, are what led unrighteous down a path of idolatry and sexual perversion. Thanksgiving plays an important role in the entire Bible, but especially in the New Testament. One writer said it's, Thanksgiving is a synonym for the Christian life. Think about that for a minute. Thanksgiving plays a central role, undoubtedly, as you might expect, in Paul's view of the Christian life. And we see it time and time again. The minister asked this youngster as they were exiting the church, he said, so your mother says prayers for you at night? He goes, "Uh uh-huh. He goes, what does she pray for? The youngster replied, she thanks God that the kids are in bed. (laughs) We have more than that to thank the Lord for, don't we? Our prayer life needs to express praise for who God is and what God has done, is doing, and will do. Gratitude is given for what the Lord provides, but also, at times, what He doesn't provide. And to be thankful for that as well, right? And so he says, look at your prayer, your, de- your devotion to prayer. And again, we're dealing with those on the outside. We're going to get to this in a minute more so. But he says, well, number one, you have to be vigilant in your prayer. You need to be thankful. And the last part, starting in verse 3, is with purpose. Notice he states, at the same time, pray for us also. <laughs> this isn't the first time Paul has asked for prayer in his writings. That God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. The very thing he's asking to pray them to pray for is what he was in prison for. That wasn't a very good grammatically constructed sentence, but you get the idea, right? He's in prison because he was preaching the gospel and he asked to pray that he can continue to preach the gospel. It's crazy. Pray that I may make it known as I should. The bulk of what he talks about in prayer concerns this aspect, and that is this opportunity for prayer. Now, as he, he says, pray that the door would be opened. That occurs elsewhere in the New Testament. It is always laced with messianic, or not messianic, missiological uh, 
overtones. He's asking, pray that the gospel can go forth, that we can get this out. And notice that that's the, the focus here, that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. The mystery, of course, is that which was concealed and now has been divinely revealed. He's talked about that. We looked at that. Look back at chapter 1. This is not foreign to our study of this epistle. In verse 26, he says, The mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but has now been revealed to the saints. What is it? God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And they say, this is what we're proclaiming. And so he says to the congregation at Colossae, pray that there might be an open door so that I can go forth and speak the truth, the gospel. You know, Paul's request is dependent on the Lord. It's centered on the gospel, and it's very confident that God will provide. It's interesting. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, makes this comment. He says, a godly man has spiritual goals in prayer. Of all the things for Paul to pray for, notice what he doesn't pray for. If, if I was in his shoes, I would ask that the doors of the prison be opened. <laughs> that, that's in this imprisonment, right? And of all the things you could request, he doesn't ask for new flip-flops or a cheese pizza. It's, it's not self-absorption that's driving his prayer. It's about the gospel. And so think about your prayers this past week. Take a little bit of inventory. Yes, we pray that COVID will end, but why? And what do we ask the Lord to do in the midst of it? Right? Paul as he looks at what lies before him, he says to the church, pray that I might have an opportunity to share the gospel, one in which, in verse 3, he says, I am in chains, literally. It's not metaphorical. He's, I am in chains for it. Like Paul's prayer, we need to be praying for our ministers and our missionaries who are seeking to proclaim the gospel. I covet your prayers as I prepare sermons, pray that the Holy Spirit would deepen my insight into the Word, that I would practice what I preach, and pray that the message will go forth in power. But it's not just praying for those, the missionaries that are on the front line or our pastors. It's also praying that God would give us an opportunity to share the gospel, right? That, that we might have open doors and this is what Paul's saying to the church. As we pray faithfully, we need to be centered on Christ and the gospel. And then he says in verse 4, he says, pray that I may make it known as I should. So this open door, it's not only that the Lord might give opportunities, but also for clarity. The corresponding text is Ephesians 6, make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, Paul writes, that in proclaiming, listen to what he says, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. There's a lot of things that I could say about Paul, but that he's timid is not a word I would normally use. <laughs> Here's a guy who charged hell with a water pistol. He's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, and he says, pray that I might be bold? 
Pray that I might have clarity when I speak. I, I, I scratched my head going, how can that be? Of all the people, I might expect that with little Andrew, you know, or some other obscure character in the Bible, but, but Paul? I think Paul understands, this isn't a job interview. This isn't a speech that I need to give in speech class or in a commencement address. The words that I'm delivering have eternal weight, right? And the glorious realities for the one who receives that gospel, the good news, is not just for this life, but it's beyond. And so Paul says, I don't want to mess this up. Pray for clarity when I speak. Pray for boldness as I deliver this message. Wow. Right? I mean, here, here's, here's a man who has, is very well educated <laughs> and I believe probably would have had a seat in the Sanhedrin as time progressed. He was rising among his ranks. He, he studied on the right side of the tracks of the right school. I mean, he knew the Old Testament forwards and backwards. Saw Christ on the Damascus Road. I mean, you talk about experiences, right? And, and Paul says, pray. Pray for me as I speak. Pray for clarity. Pray for boldness. Alistair Begg writes, If we are to cultivate habits of private prayer and devotion that will weather the storms and remain constant in crisis, our objective must be something larger and greater than our personal preoccupations and longing for self-fulfillment. So this week, when you bow your head in prayer... What are you praying for? What, what, what's guiding it? Is it the laundry list of, okay, Lord, I pray for my day. I, I make sure, you know, I, I, I get this, this job offer that I've been wanting or, or, you know, keep us away from COVID. All of these things in and themselves are okay. They're, they're, they're good. But what's governing all of that? And think about Paul in prison here. He, he's not... This isn't a little fiesta he's having in Rome. There's no baklava being served. And of all the things he could pray for, he said, I'm concerned about the gospel going forth, right? And so he says to this church that are part of the new community that is in Christ, he says, how do we engage the world? One, we pray faithfully. And then secondly, he says we need to behave wisely. Notice what he says in verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Your English version may have walk. Uh, it's the same idea of conducting. It's, it's the path that you take. It's your ethical behavior. And he says it needs to be laced with wisdom uh, throughout the Old and New Testament, wisdom is, is what governs. It, it, it's what allows us to function in life, the opportunities that arise. It's not foreign in Colossians. Look at chapter 1. Let's just go back. Let's refresh our memory in 1.9 because you will have a quiz today. 1.9, just teasing. It says, For this reason we also from the day we've heard have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will in what? All spiritual wisdom. Asking the Lord to, to grace you with this. 
And, and he says, this is what should govern us. It's, look at 128. 128. He says, we proclaim him with instruction and teaching all people with what? All wisdom. There it is again. It, it's what's governed. And look at chapter 2, verse 3. He says, in whom are hidden, this is Christ, all treasures of wisdom. Where's the source? Christ. What are we supposed to be doing it? It's supposed to ooze out of our very pores and living for Christ and how we pray for others and, and, and how we interact with others. That should be this wisdom. And notice he says that we behave towards those outsiders. This isn't referring to those who live over in Laodicea, those in Colossae. No, what we're talking about are non-Christians, those who do not know Jesus. Paul's language, one scholar writes, reflects a heavenly balance between the church's call to be unique within society and its responsibility towards society through its behavioral witness. In other words, our lives are to be lived in such a way that God's name is not dishonored and that no occasion should be seen, ah, I'm not accepting Christ because I know how she is on Tuesday <laughs> or he behaves. Have you mean? In other words, our actions, I remember a teacher used to say, your actions speak so loudly I can't hear what you're saying. Don't claim the name of Christ and then behave without wisdom. Right? I had the joy or the misfortune, I guess, I don't care how, I don't know how you want to slice it, of serving as a busboy for four years at a pizza place. Oh, it was great. You know, that was pre-COVID, so you could eat the leftovers. No, I didn't do that. But, oh. <laughs> so you'd work this pizza joint, it was awesome. But I, I will tell you, every one of my colleagues hated working on Sunday night because the Christians would come in from the churches and eat, and they would leave it a mess. And, and I was one of the few who was a believer, and they'd say, yeah, those, here come the Christians, look out. Paul says, careful. He says, you conduct yourselves with wisdom towards those on the outside. And then he says, making the most of every opportunity. That's a marketing term in the Greek. <laughs> Uh, the Black Friday sales are upon us. I, I have to joke because used to Black Friday sales were truly just a Friday. Now I think it's Black Month uh, sales. You know, they've already started them. And you, but you remember making the most of the opportunity, right? In those days gone by, you'd wake up at 3 a.m. so that you could be in line when those doors were opened at Best Buy for the 100 TVs that they had at 120% off. I mean, it was marvelous. Forget that you were sick the next five days and you had to go see a doctor and pay 75 bucks for all the medicine, etc. But it was great. You were making the most of the opportunity. And, and that's what Paul's saying. When it comes to the gospel, we need to be thinking very carefully how we're engaging others. Intentional evangelism is what he's talking about. We need to exploit any and every opportunity for the cause of Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. We need to behave wisely. We need to pray faithfully. And the last of the PBSs here is speaking graciously. 
Notice he says, let your speech always be gracious. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lifestyle evangelism isn't ultimately going to lead anyone to the Lord. They're going to have to hear the gospel. They're going to have to read it uh, and to understand. Yes, our lives help enhance that proclamation of the gospel, but it must be proclaimed. So not only do we have to walk the talk, we also need to talk the walk. Kind of an idea, right? And notice he says, we do this graciously. Ecclesiastes 10, words from the mouth of a wise man are, or woman are, gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. (laughs) Or as one Puritan writer states, we know metals by their tinkling and men and women by their talking. Paul says, the grace that we have received should ooze out of our speech. It's what should seize in it. It should spring from our hearts. Nothing seals the lips and ties the tongue like the poverty of our own spiritual experience. We have nothing because we have nothing to say. (laughs) Careful. If we have experienced grace, that should come forth. And the lips are the, always the telltale sign, right? That's why Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips when he sees the glory of the Lord in Isaiah 6. Of all the things to comment, it's the tongue. And Paul says it needs to be gracious, seasoned with salt, he states. Even if you have high blood pressure, season it with salt, right? The idea here is that which in... Really, some have used it to say it's used of being witty. And that's true in a Hellenistic world when that phrase is used metaphorically. But I think the idea goes to the rabbinic writings, the Jewish writings. Salt was seen as a source of wisdom. And it says, your speech should be wise. It should be gracious. Not so we can wax eloquent, but so that we can be good apologists for the Christian faith. And this is seen in the last phrase, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. In order to know how to answer everyone, you have to listen. It implies you have to care. You have to, to move self out of the way. Because if you're self-absorbed, it's very hard. My wife shares, she said she uses this from time to time in family counseling. It's a ball of yarn. And the person who's talking gets the ball of yarn. And then you pass it when someone else talks. And by the time the session is done, it's very revealing. Because usually there's one person with a whole lot of yarn. (laughs) And you know the type. You talk to them. The conversation is always revolving around them. In fact, they don't know anything more about you half an hour before than they do at the end of the conversation. How are you going to answer if you're not listening? How are you going to be able to answer if you do not care? And Paul states, as we let our speech be seasoned graciously with wisdom, he says we need to know how we're going to answer people. Paul sets forth in this short little passage here ways in which we need to reach the community, those outside the community. 
Our apparel is different. We've talked about the clothing as followers of Jesus. It reflects Christ, and it should reflect Christ. And so we see, should see that in our prayer life, praying faithfully. We should see that in how we behave, behaving wisely. And we should see it in our speech, speaking graciously. There's a world, if ever a time is this, that needs to hear the hope the gospel. I think I was, I've shared this, but I've been reading this two-volume commentary. It goes on and on, but it's good. It's just, they're long volumes of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who pastored in London during World War II. He started. And I was reading a couple of his sermons during World War II, and it's amazing. He, he talked about how the church, if had an opportunity to stand. And unfortunately, often he said the church, Big C, was more on care and, and social programs and on this and that. And he said, even they were seeming to lose the gospel. And, and, and may we not lose sight of this. Paul, in the midst of prison, identifying as a new community in Christ, he says, oh, the hour is near. Take heed. Pray faithfully, behave wisely, and speak fervently or graciously as we approach this world that desperately needs hope and peace. Father, we come to you. And Father... I must confess, I look at my own life in so many ways, I fall short. I look at us as a people, as a country, and we fall short. Lord, there is a world out of these four walls, and maybe some even in this room, who do not have a relationship with you. There is no peace. There is not any hope. And I, I talk to neighbors who are scared spitless of COVID. They're scared that they may die. And for us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, for us to live as Christ, to die is gain. Not that we are to be foolish in how we engage our world, but Father, we have hope. We have peace because of Christ. And Paul sets forth the model for us as he exits, kind of ends this letter to the church at Colossae. He's already addressed how we engage one another inside the community. And now as he moves here, he says, listen, we have a world that desperately needs to hear the truth. They need to see it and they need to hear it. And Father, we ask for boldness. We ask for clarity as we engage this world. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.